Welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show with Landon Witt. You're about to learn hyper-local market knowledge happening right now in the Oklahoma City real estate market. This is your fresh weekly report on housing conditions in Oklahoma City that will enable you to make smarter investment decisions and gain insight on local trends. Landon is a genuine, self-made top realtor in Oklahoma City with millions of dollars in real estate closed every year and hundreds of satisfied clients. He's top-rated by sites like Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com, and Homes.com. Whether you live right here in the city or across the country, welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Welcome to episode 53 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. On today's show, we cover the exciting conclusion of August sales records. We've also got Alyssa Dyer from Table Investments on the show talking about her successful business investing in local real estate and helping other investors invest in real estate in Oklahoma. Let's get right into the sizzling market for August. We are topping out now at a median per square foot price of $101. Folks, that's the first time since we've been keeping records that we've gotten over $100 per square foot for an entire month. So interesting to see that coming here in Oklahoma City. Um, Now, our metric covers downtown and 10 square miles around Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma City is a massive district. The whole the city, I think, covers three or four counties. It's really a huge. So we really have to limit that down just so that our metrics make sense. We do that with the 10 square miles. Coming in at your median sales price for the month of August, 170000 Now, one of the things that's really driving a lot of this is the supply and demand metrics that work in just about every industry uh, in town. We dropped down in February at our lowest point, which was 1.8 months supply, which means that if no more real estate came on the market, we would be, we would have a month, 1.8 months supply, and then we would have no inventory at all. We've since come up through June to two months supply, and August we jumped up to 2.3. A lot of the people that started renovating throughout the summer and really saw the prices start to climb really decided to start selling, and now they finally came on the market for August. And also, too, vacations and things like that can drive uh, people not wanting to go on the market. They're they're away on vacation. I know I've had some clients this past month that were out of the country while we sold their house, and it went great, but they said it was very stressful for them to be so far away while their personal dwelling was under contract. Uh, going into the uh, pending sales for August, we had 799. That's really just a metric of how much volatility there was in the market or activity. Um, The more sales we have, the better I like it. I like to work in a market where there's lots of sales going on. Um, Obviously, as a broker, you want more sales. That's more action, more potential to get involved in the sale of real estate. Um, July or August for closed sales, we're down to 667. That came down from 782 
total units sold in July. So we're starting to get towards that teeter-totter of the fall as we get into September and October and so on and so forth, we're gonna see the volatility or the total market volume start to decrease and that's normal. Looking at your days on market metric for August, we came in at a median of 15 days. That's actually up from June and July coming in at 10 and 13 days on market median average. So we're up to that 15. Um, I think when I saw the metric of the last seven days, we were looking at about 13 for actual going to pending. So still well under that two weeks on the market, which is a really short time when you consider um, that's from sign in the yard for sale till under contract and beginning that process under two weeks. Really good to see. want to get over to the news now. Um, some couple of topics I want to talk about, one of which is, uh, I guess, the, the hospital um, Stevenson Cancer Center just was awarded a $10.8 million grant to expand its clinical trials in cancer, which is really interesting. That's OU Medicine um, is the is the owner of the Stevenson Cancer Center. And with this $10.8 million, that's going to further drive their already expanding medical community and bringing in top caliber uh bioengineers from all over the world and that's really what's been putting pressure on our city to come up with um, you know nightlife for these individuals and things to do for people that are used to living in world-class cities well guess what you're coming to the middle of America and arguably the most amazing city in middle America. I mean, in fact, name cities that you know in the middle of America and Oklahoma City is right up there. And if it's not, it's going to be very shortly. I want to also talk about MAPS 4. MAPS 4 is our penny cent tax. Uh, it's a tax that we collect from the American people or from the <laughs> Oklahoma City people and then apply that at the end towards paying cash for things that the residents have voted on. Um, one of the things, uh, OKCTalk.com just published this list of all the proposed ideas, and one of the ones that stuck out to me was this Innovation District. A lot of people don't know we have something called the Innovation District, which is just east of downtown here in Oklahoma City, and they're pledging another $71 million to go towards that Innovation District. They kind of outline exactly where it would go to, but let me just read what is the Innovation District in Oklahoma City. OKC's Emerging Innovation District currently encompasses about 1.3 square miles east of downtown, roughly between Northeast 13th and 16th Streets to the north and Northeast 4th to the south and Robinson and Lottie Avenues to the west and east. It crosses Broadway, Interstate 235 and includes Automobile Alley in addition to the Oklahoma Health Center, University Research Park and numerous other institutions. The OKC Innovation District District is also home to the heart of the city's bioscience sector, where many institutions are already conducting groundbreaking research and fostering entrepreneurship and innovation. A significant 
a significant center of job growth, the district reflects the shifting geography of global economy and the emergence of dense hubs of economic activity where innovation, entrepreneurship, creativity, and placemaking intersect. Folks, I can't stress this enough. I'm not talking about the past. I'm not talking about the future. I'm talking about right now, give me another city that is making such aggressive movements to prepare for now. Not just tomorrow, not yesterday, but now. These things are happening now in Oklahoma City. It is a town that is in line with the current internet culture It understands that if you want to have the latest and greatest technology and software and bioscience design, you have to appeal to the working class that's going to work there and want to be in a city that's cool. The nightlife's taking off. The uh, parks are taking off. We're making huge changes. And the mayor himself, very, very transparent, open person, very progressive, you would say. Folks, I've talked to him on Twitter. I mean, just in the morning, he responds to his own comments. It's really interesting to see how innovative our town really has become. Without further ado, I'd like to bring our guest on the show. I know you guys are on your way to work wherever you are. We got folks listening in New York City on a train right now. We got folks in California that'll be waking up a couple hours later. You folks that are in Australia, you've already heard the broadcast. Thanks again for your comments. China, Vietnam, all you folks investing in Oklahoma City around the world, thanks for listening. I'd like to bring on our guest on the show today. All right, I'm here in the studio with Alyssa Dyer. I'm actually really excited about this guest on the show today simply because she is really fighting the same fight that I've been fighting for the last four years, and she's been doing it for really her whole life. This whole um, company concept that she co-founded has really been a part of who she is and really is just bringing out the best in her. And so... Um, I'm really excited to talk with you today, not just about what you're doing now, but kind of a flashback into what Oklahoma City was like in the past, kind of explaining why it is where it is now, and then let's look to the future, and then let's kind of talk about where does the investor's role uh, play during this very interesting time in Oklahoma City. So uh, please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, and rewind the tape and tell us where Oklahoma City was when you were a child, at least. Sure. Uh, so my name is Alyssa Dyer. Uh, like Glendon said, I'm the co-founder of Table Investments here in Oklahoma City. Uh, investing here is, so our company, we make investing really, really simple. Uh, we help some people who live here locally, but most of our clientele is people who live out of state. Uh, so we get asked you know, all the time, what is Oklahoma City like? And uh, we always kind of struggle to answer that question because um, it, it's so different right now than it was five years ago and for sure uh, when I was growing up. So, Well, rewind the tape, though. You were, you were uh, for those that don't know who you are, you were with Keller Williams and a top, top salesman. I mean, I think at one, one year you sold hundreds of units. 
Uh, sort of. So I was with another team that sold hundreds of units, and then I was the top performer within that team. So I think the most I sold in a year was just shy of about 100 units on my own. 100 units? Yep. That's a lot of transactions. It's a lot. It's a I lot was, of people. Yeah, I, I was. Mm. So it was it, it was a lot of fun, and it was I was exhausted from it. Um, retail or residential real estate can be a lot of fun. Uh, I had a couple investor clients that I made almost no money off of, but I loved working with them. Um, so I kind of just woke up one day and was like, okay, how can I really shift most of my focus towards the investors and do it in a way where I'm making money and they're getting really good deals and everything's you know, it's super fun and super cool because the retail thing is, I'm good at it, but I, am, I don't love it anymore. Um, so I did that, I guess, yeah, it's been, I guess, four years ago now that I made that shift and um, it wasn't overnight. It was super, super messy. Um, started working with a bunch of local people and at first I was just helping them buy really rough houses off the MLS and fighting for, you know, the highest offer and just trying to get the listing agent to like me so that they'd take my offer even if it wasn't the highest one. Uh, and then I kind of got turned on to the whole off-market sale. And, you know, if you control the listing and you control what the product is, you, you don't have to fight so hard to get the deal. Um, I guess you do have to fight. It's just it looks different. You win no matter what. Yeah. Sure. It's guaranteed um, success. Yeah. So we did that for a couple years and then kind of got turned on to the whole turnkey, out-of-state investor. Uh, it's kind of a whole other world. Um, it's really tight-knit. It's kind of tough to break into. And um, so, yeah, we did that a couple years ago. And that's kind of what we're doing now is we source the deals here in Oklahoma City and process them and make sure that it's actually a good deal or do our best to do that and then match it with an investor who maybe doesn't live here and needs help with that acquisition and needs help with, uh, you know, positioning it correctly so that it is performing better. Hmm. Now, if you are already invested in Oklahoma City and you're probably looking for maybe the second or third home, um, you've already realized really quickly that there's very, very limited inventory right now. And Table Investments is actually one of very few companies that actually even has any inventory right now. And they've done that through a lot of uh, hard work, really. I mean, you guys are doing hard work. There's no magical potion other than you're working hard. Um, And so I admire that about you guys. And, And in fact, that's really why you're here is that you guys uh, are just hard workers. I think there's a lot of companies and a lot of people out there that are not doing the time, you know? And so talk to me about what Oklahoma City was like when you were growing up and how different it is now. Sure. So I grew up in um, a suburb to the east of Oklahoma City, Choctaw. Um, and I remember even on you know Friday nights, we'd want to go see a movie or whatever. And this is so before any of the downtown was developed. And it was a, a kind of a thing um, to go into the city. It was dangerous. And it was, okay, be really careful. Don't go outside of you know these three streets. And we're going to drop you off. And we're going to pick you up. And don't go anywhere else. And answer your phone. And uh, it was kind of a rough thing uh, to go downtown. And so really, I guess over the last several years, for sure the last five, we have seen, I've actually really been proud of the city um, and the government and how they've kind of uh, repositioned and redeveloped everything. It's 
totally different than what it used to be. Um, downtown used to be a bunch of vacant warehouses with busted out windows and barred windows and uh, wood nailed in everywhere so that you couldn't get in. And now you've got these cool industrial spaces and you've got really awesome restaurants and um it's been really fun, but then you go just outside of that and it's really, really rough again. Um, Oklahoma City is, and I didn't realize this until I started traveling to you know other markets to see what it's like there, but it's really spotty. You'll have three or four houses that literally have tarps for roofs and then a beautiful house that's $200 a square foot. Um, so it can be tough for us to communicate that you know, to out-of-state investors because it's not... We haven't had 20 and 30 years of development. It's been five to eight years. Um, even Chesapeake, one of the bigger you know employers here, struggled to get talent for years and years and years because there wasn't restaurants. There We didn't even have a Whole Foods or a Trader Joe's forever. Um, so it, it was hard to recruit. And then even if we could recruit talent to retain the talent because they didn't want to come to Oklahoma City, uh, no amount of money was worth it to them um, to live in what felt like the middle of nowhere. Um, so it's totally different from now. Now we actually do have a downtown. We have a river walk. We have uh, somewhat, you and I were talking earlier, we kind of have a tourist part of the city where uh, you go to a bar and 40, 50, 60% of the people eating there or having drinks there are not from Oklahoma City. Uh, that's all really, really new for us. And it, Wasn't Brick, Bricktown was Maps 1, right? I think so. I was just trying to remember that. So I so for so the state has actually done something or the city's done something that's really incredible. In fact, other countries have come to Oklahoma City to understand what they've done here and it's called a penny tax is kind of the local slang for it and it's a sales tax that goes towards a bucket of goals that the city has voted on uh, maps four is what's happening right now which is Scissortail Park and once they reach that goal then they pay cash for these improvements so which keeps the town debt free and these projects fully funded which provide jobs and increase uh, the whole nightlife, but it takes time. So these projects have been going on. I think Bricktown was 10 or 15 years I mean, ago. Yeah, pushing 15. Okay. And that's what's so interesting. And so people ask me, you know, okay, so what does it look like on the back end of all of this? What? Mm -hmm. uh, so you've got all these developments and you have all this out-of-state money coming in. You have, you know, typically you look at other markets and it, it builds and builds and builds and there's some type of fallout because it wasn't either managed responsibly or something changes somewhere else. And so... Mm -hmm. We won't know until we actually see it, but all the you know speculation and thought is since it is debt free and we have done it so responsibly and we're not dependent on any money except for our own, arguably it will be a whole lot more stable and we're not going to have that fallout. But it does in a lot of ways take a whole lot longer because we also don't get that boom by, by doing it this way. Hmm. So when you walk around the streets of Oklahoma City, I think there was two things that you brought up. One is the tourist destination, which is Spricktown, Scissortail Park, um, Midtown Plaza, all these areas which are really quaint. I mean, in fact, this weekend I was just driving around and I really had moments where I was like, I'm in San Francisco. I mean, it, it really felt like I, w I was in a different whole city. And I think from a tourist perspective, it really is interesting, especially with the rail car and the and the now we have the electric uh, power lines or whatever for the rail car. And so it looks like 
you know, uh, some kind of West Coast town, you know, uh, old town, you know, and like it's always been this way. And so it's very interesting. And then, of course, thousands of people walking the sidewalks now and and the vibrant youth riding around on the scooters and people, I think one person stopped me and, and asked me, well, how does the scooters work? Because apparently I look like I'm a local here, um, which was just great. Uh, I think that was one of the first times I've been asked, like, you know, are you a local here? You know, like it was just this, it was this, you know, and I've only been here for four years. And, and so now it, I really feel like that's the sign that this is an up and coming town. So, okay. So let's get in for the investors. What, where, where should you be placing your investments in Oklahoma city? And, and what are some common questions that people have had when they visit here? You mentioned the tarps that are on the roofs, the kind of uncertainty in the neighborhoods, but yet all the financial metrics are making sense, but yet visually it's maybe not there yet. So how do we navigate that and how do we navigate what price range to invest in in Oklahoma City? Sure. So the easiest way that I kind of break it down whenever I'm on the call with an investor is it, risk and reward are going to work in tandem with one another. Um, so typically the higher risk you're going to take on, typically uh, the higher uh, opportunity you're going to have for a reward on the back end. So if you want to go further north and west and get into parts of the city that are established and have been for a very long time, totally fine. I'm not. We don't like to say what is and isn't a good or a bad deal because that's so subjective. Um, we just like to kind of paint the bigger picture and help you decide what makes the most sense. So sure, let's go to the suburbs. You're going to have a higher price point, but you're also going to have very, very little risk. Um, you're not going to have a very high rate of return. As you move closer to the center of the city, it's kind of the area we've been talking about, it's moderate. So you do have really, really good areas. And then you've got streets that are a little rougher and you've got the neighbors that you don't know that you want to deal with. Um, so you're taking on a little more risk to invest in that part of the town. You're kind of a moderate price point, uh, but your reward, you may get lucky and kind of get a spike in appreciation or something like that in addition to your cash flow. Uh, I personally invest in pretty rough parts of town. Um, I've got a pretty high risk tolerance and I want the upswing. So I'll buy something that it's cash flowing and I'm probably going to get my copper stolen and I'm going to have rougher tenants. Uh, but we're in the areas that MAPS is pouring all that money. I want that appreciation and I want to ride that wave up once it happens. Um, so the, it, it totally depends on who the person is and what their goal is. If they just want to park money and not think about it, let's go to the village, let's go to the suburbs, let's go further north and west. Uh, if you really want to learn how to analyze the deal and you want to kind of deal with some of those growing pains and you want to absorb some of that risk so that you have the equity or you have the higher cash flow, cool, let's do it, but let's go south and east. Uh, let's get into some of those lower price points and some of the hairier uh, projects. I think you said something really important there. If you're spending uh, higher cash, you're actually getting a more stable investment per se with less risk and less return. If you've got lower amounts of cash, then you're getting into more risky places. Um, a lot of investors that may just be starting may not have a whole lot of cash. Does that mean they have to start risky? Is that, uh, is that what it, it means is? You need to spend more time saving if you want to mitigate that, or you need to have a really, really good team that can kind of help you mitigate that risk. Um, I buy in really risky parts of town. 
I just have kind of learned what to look for in tenants and in the property. So I don't really have that many horror stories and even the evictions or the, you know, worse deals that I do, uh, they're really not that bad. You, if you learn how to mitigate the risk, you're fine. It's just, uh, you have to pay a little more attention. If I go into the suburbs, yeah, I'm going to do a credit check and I'm going to do a background check. But if I'm being honest, I'm not paying as much attention. Um, to the property. Uh, I'm not really, really looking at the inspection or what my contractor is telling me because the house was built 15 years ago and the tenant's been there for three years. If I go into the south side, I'm really, really paying attention to who's moving in here and what's behind this wall that's been here for 100 years. Um, does that make sense? So it, it kind of just comes down to what questions am I asking? How much time am I spending? And who's helping me navigate this if I don't know what I'm doing? Hmm. Okay. So when we talk about the, you know, I, I really get excited when we talk about these high risk areas because the high risk area is an area no one wants to live. And if no one invests in that area, it's going to always stay an area where no one wants to live. So I, the pioneer in me and the, and the, the person that wants to see a beautiful town with beautiful people, um, I'm excited about that. So let's talk just a moment about those those first deals that you talked about where you're in that risky zone let's what is that what do you mean are you talking about a $15,000 house here uh so i will purchase a 15 and $25,000 house typically for our out of state guys they're going to purchase somewhere 55,000 to 75,000 um if they're in a high high risk area um and that's all so relative the one so i went yesterday and met an investor and he's purchasing it I think it's 60,000, um, but I met both of the neighbors, both came out and shook my hand and looked me in the eye. Both of them introduced themselves and one of the guys looked at me and he was like, hey, I know that we're lower income, but I really am grateful that you're buying this house and making it nicer. Uh, we all get up and take our kids to school just like everybody in Edmond does. We just don't have as much money to get things done. Um, I love areas like that. They want good housing. They just can't afford the $400,000 house on a big, beautiful lot where their kid's going to private school. Um, the risk is in bringing in the tenants that don't have that same mm. mindset. Does that make sense? So mm. you can get a house in these risk-prone risk areas, and if you just pay attention, you mitigate so, so, so much of that. The problem comes whenever you let any tenant in, you become kind of a slam, slumlord. Your tenant calls and says, hey, I have a leaky sink or hey the roof's doing whatever and you band-aid it instead of actually fixing it that's where you start running into problems because the tenant who's going to be willing to deal with those conditions i mean what does that person's lifestyle look like and why are they willing to accept that because low income does not have to mean scary it doesn't have to mean bad it just means low income hmm. there is quite a few investors that have been in Oklahoma City for 30 years or so, some of them having portfolios 90. I, I've got some relatives that, that have huge portfolios. And I and this is no slam to the way that they were doing business. Uh, but looking at it from a business standpoint, they were milking their properties for all the cash they could for as long as they possibly could, which leaves the world now to where you have these properties that you're talking about, which have been band-aided for decades. They have tenants in them that live in slum-like conditions because of either credit scores or drug habits or whatever other demographic that they're, they're, they can't get a nicer place because of something on their, their credit report. So that's led to our town really kind of for a while, I think, looking the way that it does is a lot of the properties are owned 
not by primary owners, but but by renters. So now we're transitioning to this new way of thinking, and you guys are really on on board with that. That says if you do things correctly, these huge horror stories that you hear from other people that have invested in real estate before, and I'm doing air quotes, that have invested and tried it, and now they're back in the stock market again because renting is a terrible idea. You know, talk to me a little bit about how you, your uh, investors come out of the end prepared for the years and years and years of great return on investment. Yeah, and we just prepare our investors and tell them you can kind of go one of two ways with this. If you do want to go into the riskier areas, you can keep band-aiding. Just understand that every time you get a call from your property manager or your tenant, it's going to be another band-aid that you have to put in place. And so, yeah, it feels better to spend 80 to to $100 right now than it does to actually correct it and spend closer to 1500 um, but if you're willing to go into this property and on the front end for the first one to three years really spend a little bit of extra money and time work with good contractors work with somebody who actually knows what they're doing to fix it mm-hmm. you're set for seven to eight so instead of spending nickels and dimes and just wearing yourself out because you're going to keep getting the call that's where people get frustrated mm-hmm. they'll talk to a property manager who it feels like they're calling them every four months and it's like well Let's look at that. Did you approve it when they said, hey, I can do a short-term fix for X amount or actually fix the problem here for more money? Fix the actual problem. And then they're not going to call you for nine or 10 more months until it's time to get a new tenant. Or more likely, you can cut down on your vacancy costs by just keeping a tenant in place. If you Tenants, especially low-income tenants, are so used to being ignored and neglected. If you will just treat them well and take care of them the way you would your suburb tenants, they will stay and they will take care of your house because they don't want to risk getting a crappy landlord who treats the house like crap. So kind of a roundabout way of answering your question, but if you'll just slow down and look at the big picture and not get so hung up on the extra $700 and just fix the problem, it ends up being a lot, lot, lot less money in the long run. But people get so frustrated uh, in the first seven or eight months that they end up wanting to just jump ship and not actually invest. Uh, so then they'll go to, you know, a turnkey property where they, you know, have all the warranties and have all those guarantees. But if you actually look at the economics of the deal itself, they lose money. They just don't feel like it because they're not getting that call. Hmm. And I think that that comes to the really the the family that's investing. Like, I know there was some dynamics with a couple that I worked with out of Austin that, you know, she didn't, you know, he he wanted to fix everything himself and he wanted to go to the, you know, drive to the properties and I don't worry, I can take care of all the maintenance. And then she didn't want him away. And so there was this huge dynamic where I think what you're saying is, is if you do the deal right, you're not going to need to be driving and doing your own repairs and worrying about this small stuff. You've got to really invest correctly in the right components and the right components that are not going to fail. I think there's so much fear over, oh my gosh, I'm going to have all these issues dealing with tenants and da, 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 da. And that's not really the case. The property managers are taking care of that, but they're also looking to you for how much should I spend? And that's the hard part. You're right. Yeah, it's making those decisions. So, okay. So let's cover the basics. We've got about five minutes left here. So when you're talking about Oklahoma City, how much should I spend where should I spend? Let's say new investor, never invested in real estate before, coming out of the stock market or have a W-2 income, and I'm, I'm going to leverage. I haven't used any of my loans yet. I've got 10 to spend, um, and I want to come into Oklahoma City. What are you telling them? 
I would go east. So uh, Midwest City and Dell City are just east of central Oklahoma City. They're right out by the Tinker, Tinker Air Force Base. Um, I would go either there or south Oklahoma City, find something that is not falling apart, but something that's not super, super remodeled. Uh, get something with a tenant already in place so that you are, ca if cash is kind of a concern and you're nervous about spending that money, get something with a tenant already there. You don't have the lag, you don't have the lease up fees, you don't have a make ready, you are cash flowing immediately and you're able to put that money away uh, so that if something does come up, you're good to go. Uh, typically, I like to put somebody around the $75,000 uh, price point. You'll, if you're buying it at 75,000, you should be able to rent the property for 775 to 800 on the low end. Um, more if it's distressed, but if you're, if you're a brand new investor, I wouldn't, I wouldn't probably want to put you in something super distressed. And how hard is it to find a tenant in the 775 to 800 range? In that price point, it's not hard at all. Okay. When does it get hard? From what I, it depends on the part of town. Really, probably 1200 is the threshold that I see where you really start getting. That's where people start getting pickier. So your finishes and the quality of house really, really, really starts to matter. And you have to kind of get that right the same way if you're selling a house. Um, somebody's going to listen to that and have an asterisk and I, that generalization that's about right mm -hmm. below that it gets tough to find a good tenant when you dip below about 550 a month mm. so it sounds like our bread and butter which which it makes perfect sense when you put it in in the perspective of income uh of, of oklahoma city and just the general low cost of living here that's why people live here you know it's it's very low so we're talking 600 to 1100 dollars a month with 1100 dollars a month probably being a little dangerous or towards that so everybody that is subscribes to biggerpockets.com is going well you know what about the one percent or the two percent return on investment does two percent even exist anymore the two percent rent to value ratio i haven't seen it in a really long time i'm sure people are getting it if they just really hammer the price or get lucky but it's not happening consistently so what do we what can we expect in modern day investing in 2019 typically we're getting from about one percent to 1.4 okay Okay. is about average. There are the anomalies where you can get a little more than that, but it's it's not common uh, for our out-of-state people. The people who are getting more than that are the people who have construction teams. They're doing their own direct mail. There's absolutely no middlemen. They're really, really skilled negotiators. Um, I've got some friends who will do it, but they've spent 20 years really, really refining this as their craft. Hmm. So if, uh, you know, we've talked, we've talked about the price, we've talked about kind of the, the focus, um, what's the action step? I mean, what, you know, obviously giving you guys a call, getting partnered with somebody that can help. Um, I think a lot of people are maybe afraid that, well, if I get somebody in there, it's going to be expensive and maybe they've been through a turnkey before and they, and they lost out. And how are you guys any different than a turnkey? So in the way that a turnkey company is tied to a specific product in a specific part of town, um, it's actually pretty cool the way that they run their businesses. Uh, they kind of, it's all very, very systemized and that's awesome. Uh, but you end up paying a premium. And what I like to remind people is that the turnkey company is the investor. They are purchasing a house, they are flipping it, and they are selling it to you know whoever lives out of state and convincing them that it's an investment. It's awesome for people who just wanna park their money because you have the rent guarantees and you have the warranties. 
You don't need to be liquid if you just want to park your money for 20 years. You run into issues if you do want to sell your house in three years because you've paid a premium for it. Your cash flow isn't that high, so you're not really putting that much in your reserves in that time. Um, you're paying a premium for the warranty. That's fine for some people. It's not fine if you want to learn how to analyze a deal, if you want to learn how to take on risk and mitigate it, if you want more equity, if you want more cash flow, if you want to scale and grow very, very quickly and income is kind of an obstacle to overcome, turnkey is not the way to go. Learn, Even if it's not with our team, find a team who is set up to grow with you and, and teach you and help you learn how to strategize around, okay, I have X amount of money. How can I get to where I want to go with that much money? And the answer isn't the same no matter what. Um, I'm, I'm not opposed to turnkey companies at all. We do some turnkey product. It's just a matter of understanding that that's not the best solution for every single investor. So you've been listening to Alyssa Dyer, co-founder at Table Investments. Give those folks a call. You can also click the link in the podcast description to get in touch with them. Uh, very, very interesting. The person that has the inventory in Oklahoma City now is the people you need to be friends with. We're in a very, very interesting market. We are what people would, you know, there's no argument. We're in a seller's market right now. Uh, tip top, very limited inventory. Uh, if you have the inventory, you're in demand. And yet there's still tremendous amounts of homes that need to be renovated in Oklahoma. In fact, just a quick drive around, you'll see hundreds of homes that are still left to be renovated. There's still plenty of space for an investment and there will be over the long haul. Oklahoma City is historically a linear market getting you about a 3.5% appreciation annually. Our lowest drop we've ever had was in 2009 after the Great Recession and we dropped 7.5%. So if you want a safe bet that's an exciting market, Oklahoma City is your market. Alyssa, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. I enjoyed it.